Hello and welcome to the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. My name is J.R. Everhart from Restoration Ministries. I'll be your host today as we enter the labyrinth of truth and transparency, where we look through the lens of God's Word into the human experience of our day-to-day lives. Whether it's recovery principles that you're hungry for, or you're just looking for some answers about Christianity, you've come to the right place. Nothing is off the table on this podcast, and we dive deep into everything that affects our day-to-day walk. So don't go anywhere. I'll be right back with today's content. Hey guys, I wanted to take a second to uh, just plug my company, CLP Audio and Staging. That's right. We have added a mobile stage to our inventory here in the world of CLP Audio. Um, it's been hugely successful, and it is, it's an amazing tool to be able to uh, provide turnkey events Uh, especially like outdoor kind of stuff in the warm weather months and that sort of thing. But as always, we're still doing all of um, our install side and, um, you know, all the things that you have come to know and love about COP Audio. Um, You can find us online at copaudio.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just search COP Audio and Staging. We're on Instagram as well. Um, Another thing that has kind of come about in – uh, 22 has been the creation of the Grumpy Sound Guy. The Grumpy Sound Guy is a TikTok personality that I've created. Basically, it's me as a sound engineer just kind of ranting and raving about the um, frustration of working inside the music business and working with churches, working with nightclubs, working with festival promoters, the whole nine yards. So make sure you check that out um, on TikTok, the Grumpy Sound Guy. And there's also a YouTube channel that's uh, very educational. Um, the, the TikTok personality is more kind of rant and entertainment based. The YouTube channel is a little bit more serious, and I'm really just genuinely trying to put some information out there that can uh, help people grow in their skill set as sound engineers and that sort of thing. So make sure you check out the Grumpy Sound Guy on uh, YouTube as well. And uh, let's get on with the program. Welcome back. Uh, today's message, <laughs> golly, yeah. Today's message is something that I have been putting off for probably two years, and it's a message that I have wanted to talk about for a very long time, but wanted to really cover it in prayer and study and be super prepared for this. Uh, I'm going to try. There's going to be a lot of information here today, guys. So buckle up. I'm going to try to cover all this in this one episode, but uh, if I feel like we're not really getting through this as as quickly as I would like, then we will do a part two. So uh, just hang on for the ride here. So before I get into the idea of, you know, the uh, LGBTQ plus, you know, lifestyle and all that kind of stuff or into biblical doctrine, Uh, I want to just kind of talk a little bit about my own personal life because I think I need to preface a lot of what I'm going to say today 
with a firm foundation of you guys understanding my heart and knowing where I am with this subject uh, at my core. Uh, I have struggled with the church's view on uh, the gay lifestyle and homosexuality um, for many, many years, not really knowing how to navigate that, not really know, knowing how to um, how to consolidate or to um, be able to accept everything that the scriptures are saying. Because in my mind, if you start, you know, chipping away at one one part of the scripture, then that, that brings all the scripture up for question. And I'm not that guy, you know, I'm not someone who can do that. You know, I'm not someone who can, um, you know, say that this part of the scripture is false or any part of the scripture is false. And then this part of the scripture is true. Uh, I think that's a contradiction in terms and it's not, uh, it's just not how, you know, my faith is framed and how my walk is framed. But before you kind of dive too deep into pigeonholing me or stereotyping me as someone who's going to be just right out of the gate against the uh, the gay lifestyle, you really need to listen to the entirety of this podcast. If, if, there, if there's ever been an episode that I just beg of you to hear me out, it's this one. Listen to the entirety of what I'm saying here. And I think you'll you'll hear my heart. I think you'll discover the heart of God, and the compassion and the mercy of Christ, um, in the midst of this very touch and go uh, subject. But uh, my oldest son is is gay. He's openly gay. He's out of the closet. Um, I love him with all my heart. Uh, he loves Jesus. You know, I think he identifies as a Christian. I think he's had some blended religion in his past and, you know, things like that. But I think he's finally getting to an age now. Uh, he's in his 30s now to where I think he's finally starting to sort through some of the muck and the mire of uh, paganism and, you know, some other new age stuff that he'd been dabbling in. And I think he's finally realized that um, God is much more concerned about his relationship with him than what he is about his sexuality at this stage of the game. Uh, and then on the other side of that, uh, I am someone who was uh, horribly sexually abused as a kid, uh, including torture. You know, it's not something that I it's easy for me to talk about. It's not something that that uh, I openly talk about regularly or anything like that. I've spent most of my adult life in counseling to in one form or another and dealt with enormous amounts of uh, fallout and trauma work and everything else that I've had to go through to try and, you know, get past a lot of that. And it's still something that I struggle with. I don't think it will ever go away. You know, the Bible says, Jesus said his work in us is not complete until we meet him. So we are in a constant state of spiritual progression and spiritual evolution toward the cross, uh, our entire lives here on earth. So I said that to say this, a lot of the things that I went through as a child, a lot of my sexual abuse was same-sex abuse, you know, um, and it really distorted my sexual development growing up. Um, it really, it really made it tough for me to kind of navigate through emotions like love and acceptance and validation, you know, things like that, because. You know, my sexual abuse started when I was three and went until I was about uh, 10 years old, 12 years old, somewhere around that ballpark. Um, 
a lot, I have suppressed memories about some of that stuff. So the more counseling I've been to, the more of this stuff I've remembered and that sort of thing. So forgive my vagueness in some of the timelines and stuff. But, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, I have the exact background makeup um, to, to be gay or to be trans or, you know, those things. And there has been many times in my life where I have thought about those things, where those things have weighed heavily on my mind. Uh, I've never crossed that line. I never identified as uh, gay or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. I have other family members that went through a lot of the same things that I went through who struggled with that and had to, uh, you know, had to, you know, kind of find their way in that dark forest of sexual confusion, you know, because that's really the best way I can describe that. But on the surface, a lot of the key markers that you see that run rampant throughout the gay and lesbian community is sexual abuse, broken relationships with a father. You know, there's some real key things there that um, you can point to a majority of people inside the LGBTQ lifestyle. Uh, They have all those things going on. I have all those things going on. I know what it's like to, you know, question my sexuality, you know, uh, I've been through that firsthand. Again, I never crossed that line. I never adopted that identity, either in the closet or out of the closet. But there are things that I've definitely had to sort through in counseling. There are definitely things I've had to sort through uh, just in my relationship with Christ and, and all that kind of stuff. And the good news is, you know, God's been totally cool through that whole, you know, um, process. He has been so kind to me and has been so awesome and uh, gentle with me, you know, trying to work through this stuff. So this subject has a very personal attachment to it. It really does. You know, for me, not just with my son, not just with my background, but I have, um, I have a handful of LGBTQ friends who I love and cherish. Um, There are people from that community that has uh, been instrumental in helping my children and things like that. So, uh, this, you know, <clears throat> I, I really have, I really have a connection to this subject and I want to speak to it with as much clarity as I possibly can and don't want to, don't want to sound contradictory or anything like that, but I believe there's a balance to be found in all this. So, um, you know, this message is such a hot, but hot button message, you know, it's kind of like. You know, if your daily job is pumping septic systems, no matter how good of a day you're going to have, you're still going to get poop on you, you know, and that's, that's what these kind of conversations are. No matter what I say in this podcast, somebody's going to walk away from it mad. So I really just don't care what anybody thinks. And I'm just going to share what I feel like God has shown me in the scriptures. And I'm going to share with, you know, what I feel has played out in my own personal lives and in the lives of people that I've counseled, because I have counseled a handful of people inside the lifestyle. Um, So we have to, you know, kind of realize that the church has approached this one of two ways. They've approached this either from a turn or burn kind of mentality, which is, you know, the Bible says X, Y, and Z, and man, if you just don't do this, you know, they're very hardline, very law, you know, uh, dogma, you know, type uh, approach to a relationship with Christ. Um, we used to call it a, a, a law relationship instead of a faith relationship where you feel like you need to follow every letter of the law 
in order to be justified. God's never going to love you if you don't do everything right. You know, um, that's kind of where that Turner burn mentality, you know, comes from is those kind of ideas, you know, um, Bible says, don't be a glutton. Well, if you eat too much food at the local buffet, you're going to hell. You know, I grew up Pentecostal around people who were very much like that all the time. They were real quick to pull out the you're going to hell phrase on just about anything. You know, if you didn't dress a certain way, you were going to hell. If you smoked cigarettes, you were going to hell. If you drank alcohol in any capacity, you're going to hell. If you went to beer joints and honky-tonks, you're going to hell. You know, I just praise God that those people never were the ones that are deciding who goes to heaven or hell. You know, um, I think there was a huge control element to that that sort of doctrine. You see a lot of that dogma type doctrine in cults and stuff like that, where people, you know, evil leaders are trying to control people and that sort of thing. And that that's exactly kind of how it felt in many many respects. Um, but then on the other side of, you know, the church approach to this is the hyper grace movement, which is the extreme opposite, uh, which kind of lives in this idea of, you know, you can just kind of do whatever you want to do. Jesus did all the heavy lifting at the cross, and now we're living under God's grace because of Jesus. We're only sanctified through Christ, not through our actions or behavior. So you can pretty much just do whatever you want, and God's okay with your sin because he understands your struggle. And, you know, the, 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 most, danger, the most dangerous thing about both of those things is they take an element of truth and manipulate it. You know, the Turner Burn guys just take raw scripture, pull them out of context, and just manipulate it to serve their, you know, control tactics and their manipulation tactics and all that kind of stuff. The hyper-grace people do the same thing. They take bits and pieces of truth about grace, and they manipulate it to the 10th degree to make you feel okay about your sin. We should never feel okay about our sin. Never. We should never feel like it's all right to be living in a lifestyle that we know deep down does not please God. Um, God's law and his grace are like a set of railroad tracks. They run parallel with each other. You know, one is not more important than the other. God still desires for us to be holy people. He still des- desires for us to be separated and to be living a life above, you know, uh, habitual, you know, evil, you know, sin. And we know when we cross that line, we feel it in our spirit, we feel it, hear it in our conscience, we hear it in our, in our, in our soul, you know, that, hey, I know what I'm doing is not right. So, you know, when the Bible says things like every man has to seek out, and he means woman too, every man or woman has to seek out their own salvation in fear and trembling. Even Paul talking about eating meat to sacrifice to idol gods, like to the person who sees that as a sin, then you can't do that. But to the person who doesn't see that as a sin, then you have to understand that everything belongs to God and meat is meat, you know, eat it, be okay, you know. So it really does come down to a case by case basis. When we start talking about some of these things, I do know this, in the measure that you judge, you too will be judged. You know, when the Pharisees were trying to back Jesus into a a doctrinal corner with ideas of of judgment and law and that sort of thing, he said mercy was more important than sacrifice and that they needed to learn that. And what he was doing was quoting a scripture from the Old Old Testament, actually. 
you know, so we got to kind of get all this stuff in line, you know. I'm throwing a whole bunch of scripture off the top of my head at you in this episode, so just go Google the stuff and you can look it up. I didn't take, I was already into this for, you know, quite a while. I didn't want to dig up and just pound you with, you know, scripture here, scripture there, that sort of thing. We are going to read a good bit of scripture today, but um, yeah, man, I mean, you know, Jesus is telling the religious leaders that mercy was was more important than sacrifice. You know, that that's super huge, you know, in my world. Uh, the next part of this is, before we really dig into the, the scripture, is we need to preface where we are in the world right now. You know, we are, America in the West, you know, I'm just going to say America because I live in the United States, but... You know, we are the new Babylon. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. We are corrupt to our core. Our government is corrupt. You know, I don't care what side of the aisle you fall on, man. We're jacked. You know, it's it's not good. You know, um, if you're if you're a Republican, there's only one political party that hates you as much as the Democrats, and that's the Republicans, and vice versa. You know, there really is no loyalty to the people going on in the government right now, and I think all of us can agree to that to some degree or another. Um, it just is what it is. And then with technology being the way it is now, we've never in the history of mankind had such easy access to, you know, uh, sexual related things, you know, pornography, you know, stuff like that. You can get on the dark web and see all kinds of evil, you know, happening and that sort of thing. Um, you know, the reason the rest of the world hates the United States so much is because they watch our TV shows and our reality shows and things like that, and they think that that's what the United States is. They think that the United States is Jersey Shore, you know, where everybody's just sleeping with everybody. There's no, you know, loyalty or no lifelong commitments anymore. You know, our divorce rate is through the roof and, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, I can remember 20 years ago being told that, the you know, first-time marriages fail at an average of 50%, second time marriages were 75%, third time was 90%. You know, so when the rest of the world is looking at that, and they're they're very traditional people who many times just stay married to the same person, in many cases the whole family lives in the same house for generations. And they look at who we are on TV, and all they see is evil. They don't realize that TV is not a correct representation of who we are as a people. That's just the junk on TV. That's just the stuff Hollywood's feeding the public. Um, but it's hard to get that across. If you ever do any traveling abroad, um, especially if you get into second or third world countries, you really, really run into a lot of that stuff. So let me read. Uh, I want to start with... Second uh, Timothy three. This just just kind of frames up what I'm saying about where we are. This is the dangers of the last days, and um, this is Paul telling his disciple Timothy that this is what the last days are going to look like. And I think you're going to recognize a whole bunch of this stuff that I'm going to read here as being stuff we can just kind of look right across the street and see in, in our neighborhoods and in our day to day lives. Uh, starting at verse 2, we're in 2 Timothy 3, verse 2. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. Uh, if you want to see scoffers, turn on your local late night um, 
you know, variety show like Jimmy Kimball or Jimmy Fallon or any of those guys. Those guys are scoffers. That's what they do. They laugh at everything and hold nothing sacred anymore. Disobedient to their parents and ungrateful, they will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind that work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened down with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachings oppose the truth as uh, Janus and Jabries opposed Moses. You've got to go back into the Old Testament and study that to understand that statement. They have depraved minds and counterfeit faith. Man, that's a big one. They have depraved minds and counterfeit faith. How many people do you know who are wearing the, the Christian badge and really don't look any more like a Christian than a man in the moon? But they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as Janice and, and Jabris in Moses' day. So that's really where I see us at this stage of the game. Um, the conversation I have most inside of my recovery circles, my Christian you know, friends and stuff like that is all speaking about end-time prophecy. Everyone inside the faith that has been in the faith and got even an adolescence level maturity in the faith um, can agree that we, we are staring right in the face of end-time prophecy. It is, it is playing out around us each and every day, you know. Um, and I, that could be a whole other podcast just talking about that. So we we know that these things are happening. We see you don't even have to be a Christian to agree with that. You know, you can you can see that these things are going on around us. So we have to make sure that we keep that in context as we move forward here. And ask yourself how much of that junk has creeped into your lifestyle and into your world or even into your inner circle of friends because I know it has mine. I know it has mine. I can see people inside my my, my group of people that I associate with, with work, who are non-Christians and stuff like that, even some confessing Christians in my inner circle have got some of that stuff floating around. Um, I, I see some of that stuff playing out in my own life. You know, I mean, I'm no different than anybody else. You know, I'm struggling with all this stuff too. Um, so then I want to take us to uh, Romans 1. And I think this is where, this is probably the chapter that, that, people quote most when they want to kind of attack, um, you know, homosexuality or, or, or the gay lifestyle. Um, and I want to kind of point out some things that I see going on in this chapter. Uh, first of all, and I'm not going to read all of it to you, but the first section of this is God, or I'm sorry, is Paul talking about uh, a group of Gentiles who have become Christians. Gentiles are anyone who is not Jewish. 
and you got to kind of get into some some Bible theory to understand the Jewish Gentile principles there. Up until Jesus, and this is the biggest reason why Jesus was so hated by the Jews, was that Jesus opened the door to Gentiles. Jesus, you know, opened the door to come into the family, grafted in like a branch is grafted into a tree, grafted into the family of God now because of what Christ had done on the cross. The Jews absolutely hated that because the Jews kind of had their own little clicky club over here of serving the God of Abraham and no one was allowed in unless you got circumcised and, and converted to Judaism. And Jesus came along and his gospel being played out in the life of the, the apostles, you know, taught that, no, you don't have to do all that. Now all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You know, so that put a bullseye on the apostles' heads. And it's the whole reason why they all got martyred for their faith. You know, everyone but John, and they tried to boil John to death and then locked him up on a, on a, uh, a prison island for most of the remainder of his life. Um, he's the only apostle that died of natural causes. So, yeah, I mean, this, this is a, a loaded statement for, you know, a loaded paragraph for Paul to be, you know, uh, talking to these believers in Rome who had stepped outside of the pagan culture that was running that part of the world, you know, and, and I always preface these conversations with, no one's going to convince me that God isn't merciful and have love for the gay and lesbian community and not recognize that he sent Paul, who was like this superpower apostle, into the gayest, most lesbianist, you know, corrupt, sexually corrupt part of the world to plant churches and, and proclaim God's grace and mercy. You know, so no one's going to convince me that God doesn't love, you know, people who struggle with these uh, sexual lifestyles and not recognize that, you know. Yes, there were other apostles that went into North Africa, you know, and stuff like that, but how come they didn't make the Bible? You know, there's a reason why what's in the Bible is there. There's an absolute, it's all deliberate. It's not by accident. This is God's holy word for us. If you go back and study, get into, you know, the apologetics thing and study the creation of the King James Bible and how that stuff came about, there's just enormously miraculous things that went down to create what we know as the Holy Bible. So, you know, that's a podcast for another day, but I want to, I want to talk about, I just want to establish that that Paul's talking to Gentiles who had walked away from the pagan faith. They're now believing in Christ. And, you know, there's, there's going to be some, some things that's, you know, kind of hanging on to them, you know, from their former life and, you know, stuff like that. So let me give you the uh, God's good news section here. I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation, and then we're going to talk about, you know, God, God's feelings towards sin and that sort of thing. Now, you have to understand, you know, Paul is trying to encourage these people in the face of living in a society that is predominantly pagan, and the pagan faith looked radically different in the ancient days than what it does now. And that's a whole other podcast. But if you just real quick, if you go back and study, you know, ancient religions of, of Babylon and all, all the multiple God religions can be traced directly back to Babylon. That's where it all started. And that was where it got, it got its origins. As it moved throughout the world, it changed names. The gods changed names. But it was all the same principle. 
you know, and, you know, it was not uncommon for, you know, just rampant, corrupt sexual living to be a part of the pagan religion. You know, seduction was always a huge part of the pagan religion. Uh, if you go way back in the Old Testament days, child sacrifice, the um, what we would know now as, as human trafficking, was was very much part of the pagan religion. You know, they would kidnap young virgin girls and imprison them in their temples and make them have sex with people for their, like if you wanted, you know, uh, blessings on your crop that year. You went to the temple and had sex with temple prostitutes. Well, a lot of those, a lot of those girls working in those temples were not volunteers, you know. So there was a whole victimization that was going on there that we don't see in today's pagan religion. Uh, I know pagans. I'm friends with pagans, you know, and most of them are very peaceable people, just trying to be at one and and really focused on mental health and you know things like that. They're trying to be one with nature. They're trying to, you know, all that kind of stuff. I can get along with those people, you know, even though we have radically different faith beliefs, you know, I can still respect them because I don't see a victimization happening with anyone around them. That's not how the pagan faith was in the ancient years. And again, that's a whole nother podcast. But, you know, homosexuality and and, and, and same-sex, you know, activity was at the core of a lot of that a lot of that kind of stuff. They even had gods dedicated, you know, to those things. So uh, Paul is saying, verse 8, we're in Romans 1, verse 8, let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because my faith in him has been talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you day and night. I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. So Paul is basically just going on here, um, really trying to encourage these guys, really trying to uh, validate them in their faith because they've really stepped out against the whole social norm of their day in uh, following Christ. But then as it moves forward, we go down to verse 18. uh, It starts talking about, you know, God's anger toward the sin of the world. And verse 18, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Forever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. I have never met someone who didn't, even even atheists who claim that there are no God, will go on and on about why they don't believe in God. They know as much about God as what some Christians do. I just think that's a that's a conflict or a contradiction in terms, you know, to say one thing and then actually have the knowledge of all the things you claim you don't believe in. Uh, Verse 21, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Man, you see that idea running rampant in the church right now, you know, especially in the hyper grace movement. You know, they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. They're trying to put an identity on God that aligns with whatever lifestyle they want God to align with. Um, instead of letting the Bible interpret the Bible, they are trying to interpret the Bible that way. Uh, 
and they began to think of, okay, as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. I have never met more prideful, wise old owls as you know, people who claim they know something about Christianity because they read the Bible once or they read half of the Bible and then claim that they read the entire Bible and they're now all of a sudden experts on the Bible and will sit there and, and you know, try to feed their doctrine of whatever it is that they're, you know, believing in over top of what, you know, the Bible is. Blended religion is a very serious thing. And Paul was seeing a lot of that in his day as well. Uh, so God abandoned them to their, we're verse 24, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As, as a result, they did vow and degrading things with each other's bodies. I think it's very important that we understand that sentence. As a result, they did vow and degrading things to each other's bodies. You know, when I read that sentence, I think about the whole bondage movement. You know, I think about, um, you know, the people who, all, all the crazy subculture stuff that I, I don't really feel comfortable talking about on the podcast, but you know what I'm talking about. People like to be whipped and beaten and, you know, stuff like that and do all kinds of vow and nasty stuff with each other. Um, that was very much a part of, you know, pagan life back in the day. They traded, verse 25, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Verse 26. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against a natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with, their, with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they desired, or they deserved, I'm sorry. Since they, verse 28, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. He let them do things that should never be done. It doesn't mean that he said it was okay to do these things, he allowed them to continue to exercise their free will. And that's a, probably a whole other podcast episode. Without free will, we can't love. So the second God infringes on your free will to choose to do wrong, then that means he's broken the parameters of what free will is in the universe. So you see that woven all throughout the scriptures, that God will let them do this or let them do that because it aligns with free will, and, and free will is the key to being able to love. You know, but there's always a negative side to everything. Your lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malice behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, they refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyways. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. So that's that's one of those, you know, hard, jagged pills to swallow 
you know, from the Bible. I mean, if you just took that passage of scripture alone by itself, you would, your, your, your mental picture of who God is would be just pissed off old man who's sitting on a throne or on his high horse waiting for one of us to act like one of these descriptive things here. And then he's going to, you know, unleash judgment on us. Well, that's, that's not how this plays out. This is just, this is where we got to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Paul spends a couple chapters talking about these things. He is building an argument for how we can't get it right. First of all, he's talking in this context of this chapter, he's talking about the people in the society around these Christian Gentiles and the things that they're having to deal with. Because you have to remember, during this time, Nero, who was the the, the ruler of of, uh, Italy at that time, the ruler of Rome, he was... was like strapping Christians to stakes and hanging them in the street and burning them at the stake to light the streets at night. There's all kinds of, you know, outside the Bible information that has been recorded that you could hear the screams of Christians crying and suffering for miles around the city of Rome. You know, so here <laughs> it's a brave thing that these people have come forward and, and confessed Christ in the face of that kind of social oppression. And this, these are the kind of things that people don't bring to the conversation. They don't understand the weight of what it was to be a Christian in the early church. You know, these guys didn't die by accident. Paul writes three quarters of the New Testament and then ends up becoming beheaded. And usually turning to Christianity meant that you knew at some point or another you were going to get found out and you were going to probably give up your life for the cause, for the cause of Christ. This is why it's so hard to devalue the Bible and devalue these writings when you understand that people would not do this for some fly-by-night, you know, uh, snake oil salesman. They would only do this for someone that they've seen with their own eyes raise the dead, you know, heal lepers. You know, open the eyes of blind people, open the ears of deaf people. They've seen this stuff. Walk on the water, show up and have a conversation with you after he was crucified. Those are the kind of psychological markers that get imprinted on your DNA as an apostle, as a disciple of Christ, that no fear could ever erase. These writings were recorded within 35, 40 years of Christ's you know, death. I don't know how anyone could want anything more accurate to come forward than that, but you have to choose to believe those things. And you really, all you got to do is, you know, dig a little bit and you can find proof of all that stuff. You don't have to take my word for it. You know, but Paul is building an argument throughout this. He's talking to these people in chapter one, trying to encourage them, saying, look, God's going to judge these evil people around you. They are. Here's a whole laundry list of things that they're involved in that God's not cool with. You have to understand that every time homosexuality or uh, that lifestyle is mentioned in the Bible, there's always a victimization that is attached to it. The pagans were well-documented outside the Bible, well-documented to uh, have that kind of victimization going on with the, the people that was 
You put, I mean, even the, like I can re- remember reading stuff in high school about Greek mythology and, and studying about Rome and stuff like that. And the more gay lovers you had, the higher you were on the social ladder. Well, a lot of those gay lovers were slaves. They were not people who were willingly coming forward to do those sort of things. So in my mind, you know, I have a hard time and we're going to, we're going to really move into this conclusion of the message with this idea is that I have a really hard time wrapping my head around Romans 7 and 8, which Romans 7 is Paul struggling with sin and realizing that there's a law in his, in his body and a law in his spirit and one's raging after another. We all understand the battlefield of the mind. We all understand that the, the war we constantly go through in our heads, in our day-to-day lives, that's Romans 7. And then Romans 8 opens up with, now there's no more condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Those first six chapters was Paul building the argument for the rest of Romans. You know, 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way up to 12. I mean, there's super huge, cool stuff going on there. And Romans is known by all the biblical theologians to be the blueprint of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what do we do with... Bible-believing, you know, gay and lesbian people who aren't victimizing anybody, who are having consensual, dedicated, monogamous relationships with each other. You know, they're not having group sex and orgies and crazy stuff like that. They're people who just genuinely love each other. What do we do with that? Do we just you know take the Turner Burn mentality and say, okay, well, because they choose to have sex differently than than heterosexual sex, that they're they're damned to hell? Because I don't see the victimization that the Bible's talking about in in that lifestyle. They may be sinning against themselves. I'm not saying that it's not sin, because I do believe it's sin. But it's no more sin than my struggles with sex addiction and pornography. So who am I to stand here and judge them and say that they're going to hell when I'm I'm doing a lot of these things that were just listed and Paul's talking about the pagans. I got I'm 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 boastful. I'm prideful. You know, sometimes I don't hold everything sacred. You know? I'm in the midst of all that kind of stuff. So what that brings us to Romans seven every time. What am I to do? I willfully do things regularly that I know does not benefit me. I'm not doing myself any favors because I struggle with sin. But I always teach it this way. The Christian walk is about focus and motives. If our focus is on Christ and our motives are to be the best that we can be and we live a life of repentance— then there's nothing but grace and mercy there for us. Because before you go and you start waving your finger and getting up on your high horse and start beating up those that choose the LGBTQ you know, lifestyle, you need to take a look in the mirror because those of you without sin cast the first stone. I mean, when Jesus said that, he was talking about a, a bunch of religious leaders that were ready to stone a prostitute or a woman, let's not even, it doesn't say that she's a prostitute, but she was a woman who was cheating on her husband. They caught her in the very act, drug her out before Christ and said, what should we do with her? He didn't condemn her. 
he sat down and, and started goofing around and drawing stuff in the dirt. I heard a guy preach it one, this way one time. He said, I think he was writing down the names of all the prostitutes that them people had been going to. And one by one, those people dropped their rocks, dropped their stones, and walked away. Then he stood up and he looked around and he looked at the woman and he said, where's your accusers? Go and sin no more. That is the idea. Go and sin no more. Do your absolute very best. Resist the enemy and he will flee. And resist means like really resist. Like if you come into my house and try to, you know, keep me from from leaving, you're going to see some resistance. You're going to have your hands full. I'm a big boy. I'll throw you around. You know, it's not going to be good. We got to be the same way with the things that trip us up in life. But the reality of it is, is that we don't win all the time. Some of us, some of us, as a result of our environment, as a result of sexual abuse, of broken relationships with a father, I've never met a homosexual man who did not have a broken relationship with their father. I've just never, I've never met one. I'm sure there's some out there, but they're a small minority of guys. But I've never met a homosexual man who didn't have some kind of brokenness with his relationship with his father. I think God understands those things. He still, our sin is still stench in his nostrils, okay? You know, I'm not sitting here saying it's okay and that God is all honky-dory with this. No, I'm not. The, the Bible says otherwise. But what I'm saying is, is if you love Christ and you're living in John three sixteen, whosoever believeth in me shall not perish but have everlasting life, I don't see how you're going to hell. Now, I'm not the guy that sends people to heaven or hell, okay? I am very clear about that. that. That Those decisions are made way above my pay grade. I see what the Bible says, and so do you. You see what the Bible says. I've worked hand-in-hand hand with gay and lesbian people inside the church and never said a word about their lifestyle but just loved them and seen them walk away from their lifestyle and come into a place where they felt these are all decisions they made. I had nothing to do with any of this. Never once had a conversation with them about their lifestyle. I just loved them. And of their own accord, decided that this wasn't a lifestyle that they felt like they wanted to live. And I've also worked in ministry with people who chose not to leave the lifestyle. Because it's tough. It's tough. You know, somebody, you know, told me tomorrow that I could only have sex with men. I'm going to have a problem with that. I'm going to have a problem with that. Because that's basically what you're trying to tell these people. Mercy and grace has got to be part of this conversation. You don't understand the weight of what you're asking when you just simply throw out, oh, well, you just need to stop doing that. Okay, that's the same way of telling a heroin addict, you just need to stop using heroin and your life will get better. Okay, well, maybe it won't. You know, because they got to do a whole lot of work to dig their way out of that, that lifestyle. Jesus will heal them, Jesus will forgive them, and he'll challenge them, and he'll walk them through those valleys of suffering and through pain to get them where they need to go. But it's not something that's going to happen overnight. And I don't think anyone has a right to cast judgment on someone who's struggling with a lifestyle that they may or may not think is okay. If they're confessing Christ and they're living in John 3.16, they're not wicked people. There's no victimization happening in, in their realm of living. 
I don't I don't see anything in the scriptures that's telling me that God's sending them people to hell. Because every time he talks about sending people to hell or sending people to the place of weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth, because the word hell is not even in the Bible. It alludes to the idea. I mean, weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth doesn't sound like any place I want to be. But if there's not hope for the homosexual, there's not hope for J.R. Everhart. Because God loved and went head on into the most sexually corrupt part of the world with the Apostle Paul and Timothy and, and all the Apostle Paul's ministry flourished. You know, that the people who followed him, they went on to lead their own ministries and so on and so forth. Why do you think Christianity has taken hold of the world the way it has? It isn't by accident. It's because it's the truth. It's the truth. You just have to have faith that God's grace is enough. I'm going to continue to love people who struggle with sin. No matter what that sin looks like. I'm going to continue to answer the phone when they call. I'm going to continue to meet them for dinner. I'm going to hold their hand and pray with them. And I'm going to open my heart and my life to be able to sow positive, godly things into their lives. If you look at it from any other perspective, you need to question your salvation with Christ. That or you at least, at the bare minimum, you need to question the theology you've been taught. Because my Bible tells me that there's grace and mercy for those that are struggling with sin. Even those that are struggling with habitual sin. I know people who say, well, you know, God is not okay with you doing the same sin over and over and over and over and over. I'm like, yeah, you're right, he's not. But he's 100% okay with the fact that I'm giving 110% effort to not do that. But I'm stuck. You know, Lord, help me. Don't give up on me. I pray that all the time, guys. Don't give up on me. I know I'm screwed up. I know I'm making conscious decisions each and every day to do things I shouldn't be doing. But don't give up on me, Lord. I love you. There's good here, and I can do good in this world. I can continue to proclaim your gospel and proclaim your truth, your love, your grace, and your mercy in the face of my failure. I'm not letting the enemy stop me from talking, no matter how much guilt and shame he tries to throw on my plate. And believe me, I get a healthy dose of that each and every day. The church tried to do the whole you know, gay camps and, you know, the Exodus International finally shut down. You know, that was an, a ministry out in California that were trying to help people walk away from the lifestyle. And it was causing more harm than it was good because we were approaching this thing the wrong way. We can't fix people, ladies and gentlemen. We can't make people make the right decisions. They have to seek out their salvation in fear and trembling. It's not our place to police the world. But it is our place to love them like Christ would and to point them toward the cross of salvation. So let's pray for a second. Lord, these are such hard subjects to talk about. These are such tough topics to try and sort through. I pray for the people who are mad at me right now, the religious and the non-religious. 
I pray for them, Lord. I pray that you just comfort them, open their eyes to your understanding. Help them, Lord. Help them to see the truth. Help them to just love. If they can't do anything else, to love. Lord, I don't have all the answers to this stuff, and I have a whole boatload of questions that I don't know I'll ever get answers to about these things. I love the gay people in my life. I do. And I'm never going to stop loving them. And I am adamantly convinced that you love them, Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're someone who is struggling with this lifestyle right now, I want you to simply just pray this prayer. Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. Open my eyes to your understanding. I want to know your truth. To my core, you know my heart. I want to know your truth. Just help me. I submit myself to you, and I allow your will to become my will in life. Don't give up on me, Lord. I don't know how I got where I am. I don't know how I ended up in the pit that I'm trying to crawl out of. I don't know how I ended up feeling okay with things that I know you don't think is okay. Help me, Lord. Help me to see the good in your gospel, the good in the good news. Help me with my unbelief, Lord. Reach into my world. Heal me. Bring people across my path that will minister your truth and love to me, Lord. And help me as I walk through the suffering that is the human experience here on earth. I pray all these things in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. If you have found value in this podcast, please consider giving to this ministry. The Truth Labyrinth is only one aspect of Restoration Ministries. We raise money regularly for needy people right here in our own community. Just this past Christmas season, we raised over $1,000 for a woman struggling with spinal cancer and was able to bring hope to someone who had lost all hope. Uh, We've bought handicap vans for the disabled. We paid utility bills for single moms. And uh, we've paid for hundreds of casual meals for those who were in need of one-on-one counseling, but uncomfortable with an office environment. Listen, guys, sometimes it's much easier for someone to open up and ask for help over a meal than it is to walk into a counselor's office and lay on a couch. God has and is using Restoration Ministries in ways that break traditional church protocol. I personally believe we have to earn the right to speak into someone's life, and it takes time to build those bridges, many times unraveling years of church hurt and dysfunction. This is what Christian ministries should look like in today's world. God should be glorified through our efforts to help the world around us, but it takes resources to do these things. For years, I've paid for a lot of these things out of my own pocket without hesitation or I've organized a benefit concert or some kind of fundraising campaign to provide these services for the people that God puts in my pathway. I will continue to give to these causes with everything that I have, but I need your support. It takes money and time to produce this podcast, 
many hours go into praying over and organizing these messages, not to mention actually recording the messages and all the post-production editing and stuff that needs to happen with that. This ministry isn't about building an empire. It's about connecting hungry hearts with the fruit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have no aspirations of becoming some wealthy preacher or tycoon ministry leader. I am content with the world that I live in, and my little world is pretty peaceful and satisfying. I definitely don't need the drama that comes along with big ministry and tycoon leadership egos. I'm just trying to make my tiny little piece of the world better. I need your support. So please pray about supporting this ministry financially. I will post links in the notes of this podcast so that you can send your gift online. Next, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review so others can see what's going on here, especially your five-star reviews. Uh, The more you review us, the higher we rank in search listings, and this allows people to discover us easier. Finally, please pray for this ministry. Pray God will provide for our needs here at the Truth Labyrinth. Pray that God will bring this podcast across the screens of those that need to hear these messages. The Bible tells us that God's ear is upon the lips of the righteous. Guys, He hears our prayers. And we need His constant guidance for each and every podcast and everything that Restoration Ministries does. So pray that He uses this podcast to turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, and that his truth will turn those hearts toward his eternal mercy and grace. Hey, thanks for listening to this podcast. My prayer is that it blessed you and brought you a fresh understanding of our lives in this world and our need for unity in Christ. A brush fire of revival in Jesus Christ is our only hope for satisfaction and true joy as we walk out the human experience that is our day-to-day lives. It's been my sincere honor to be your host today at the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. Be blessed and be a blessing to those around you. Till next time, I leave you with a scripture from Ephesians 6, 23 and 24. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ.